0: Back to King Pilled, folks. I am Matt, your your host and humble narrator for the day. To quote my good friend Buck Johnson, and today I am joined with the the shampoo mogul himself, uh, Mr. Charles Haywood. Thank you for joining us today, sir.
1: I am pleased to be here.
0: Great, great, great. This is this is I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time, and I think it's coming at, at just the right time. Uh, we're streaming right now on YouTube, on Twitter, and on Facebook, and uh, and then you can catch this later on the on the podcast feed as well. Just look for King Pilled uh cooper if you guys are watching the channel regularly you know that cooper is missing he is is stuck being a wagey which he's trying to get himself out of right now uh he got he got uh uh, held late at work today but he's hustling home and he'll be hopping on here here in a little bit uh so i think anybody who's listening to this channel i'm sure they already know who you are either because they're coming here to see you right now or Everyone that is, is with this channel already uh, is very familiar with you. But in the event that we happen to have someone who doesn't know who you are, uh, tell us who you are and what you've got going on.
1: Well, I'm Charles Haywood. I write at my own site, The Worthy House, theworthyhouse.com, which is all free. I am not looking for your subscription. And I write on history and politics. I write book reviews primarily, or rather my own thoughts, masquerading as, as book reviews. And so, I, I, as I say, it's mostly history and politics. I also show up on Twitter uh, off and on at the worthy house. Normally, I try to be Twitter off Twitter for Lent, but I've realized that Twitter is really my only source of news pretty much. And so, I'm not sure I can get off Twitter for Lent. So, that may cause my eternal soul to suffer. Uh, but, uh, but I may have to stay on Twi- on uh, on Twitter for Lent. Uh, it's, it's, it's an upcoming decision I have to make.
0: Yes. I, uh, well, I, selfishly i hope that you can remain on twitter because i want to keep seeing what you have to say i'm probably gonna
1: Uh, i'll probably cut it back to just being off twitter entirely for holy week because really if you can't stay off twitter for holy week you know what are you doing yeah right right (laughs) unless of course there's a nuclear war or something that's really you know super important or something like a real happening
0: right right yes a real happening uh it's one thing one of the things i want to talk with you about here today is is there seems to be a debate going on amongst – it it seems to have died off a little bit. It sort of reached a bit of a fever pitch during the, the Texas border situation recently. But it seems kind of like our little uh, little corner of the Internet. I don't know what you would call some right-wing dissident, near-reactionary, conservative, some, something along those lines. We kind of know who we're talking about. It seems to be splitting between the group of people who are saying nothing's happening, nothing's going to happen, this is all a big nothing burger, and – Something's happening. There's very much something going on that's different. Things are changing, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And a a good, a guy we very much appreciate, uh, Mr. Fisted by Foucault, he actually uh, decided to post a poll on this a couple weeks ago. Uh, actually, he said well, you wanted, he wanted to post it. I told him he should run a poll. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you, you bullied him into it. And he said. Yeah, I bullied him. I mean, that, that's exactly what. Happened. <laughs> using your powers for good. Um, he, he posted a poll. He said, is Texas an actual happening or a not happening? Got 2,700 votes. 57.3% of people said a not happening. And in one of the comments, he replied to define what a bar for happening is. He said, something of significance actually happening, like Biden sending in the Fed slash troops or Texas cutting off all ties with Washington or violence, et cetera. So far, it's just politicking. So you you obviously disagreed with him, at least in his premise before he posted this. What's your take on that?
1: Well, it's a very complex topic, but but working backwards, the well, first of all, that poll is bogus because he's a noted happenings denier, and he hosted the poll. So therefore, that gooses the statistics. So my contention is net 15 points should be moved, thus meaning that uh, his poll actually came out my side, that is the happening side, winning once you normalize it for the fact that, that he's a denier. Uh, so uh, he's also not just a denier of happenings. He's he has this, yeah. You know, I like uh, I like Soldo, but in Soldo is, is his real name. I, I like him, but you know, he has this insane idea of uh, Turbo America that America has never been stronger or more dominant in in in, you know, in in the world at large. And on both Turbo America and on happenings, he's always moving the goalposts. Right, the goalposts are always what's not happening now is a happening, so therefore there is no happening. Now, this is called sophistry. This is not any kind of objective analysis. You can, in fact, have an objective analysis about whether things are happening, but to declare what the goalposts are for a happening ex post and declare there is therefore no happening is, frankly, kind of a silly exercise. <laughs> so uh, we can work backwards on, on two, like, we can all agree that certain things are happenings. When the aliens arrive and step out of their spaceship, uh, you know that's a happening. But when the nuclear bombs start dropping, that's a happening. Yeah, you know, Haywood cutting his toenails not a happening. So I mean, there's there's a wide range between those things, and you, there's you, people of good faith can disagree on what constitutes what. But it's objectively true that the Texas events, for example, were unprecedented in modern American history. And I, back in the day, used to be. You know, Went to law school, I knew, I knew a fair bit and worked for a federal judge. So I know a fair bit about constitutional law as well as history. I mean, completely unprecedented in the modern era. And just because people aren't actually shoving guns in each other's faces doesn't mean that it's not unprecedented in the modern era. So, by any kind of reasonable objective analysis, that's a happening. I mean, again, colloquially, it's happening. If your definition of happening is dead people, well, you know, that A, not something particularly one should wish for, and second of all, not something that is... It, for example, another kind of happening that would be a happening but does not involve violence would be the extremely... Un- ...that the Supreme Court takes Donald Trump off of the ballot or allows Donald Trump to be taken off of the ballot in different states because the the bizarre... Uh, unprecedented nature of that would be happening. And most typically happenings are ubiquitous for quite some time, months or years before there is some major societal change. So to say, well, you have to have a major societal change, say the end of communism in 1989, and that's a happening and everything that happens before that is not a happening. Again, that's kind of sophistry what you can debate whether what, any individual thing is a happening, but there's really no sound argument that the Texas events were not a happening.
0: Do you think we possibly are suffering from an excessive reoccurrence of happenings and it's kind of distorted our ability to assess what actually constitutes a happening and what doesn't? It's kind of like, it seems like we've had, we've had 50 years of history happen in the last 10 years.
1: Right, well, it's the old Lenin phrase there: decades when nothing happens, and weeks when
0: decades happen. Uh
1: I think we have not had a lot of happenings in the, in this sense in the past several years. That is, we have a lot. I think it, it, what it is distorted by is the uh, a combination of the internet and people being dumbasses that make the news cycle uh, both extremely rapid and extremely incoherent so a lot of things that really aren't happenings look like happenings because people get all wound up about them for a very brief period of time and to distinguish between that and a real happening really requires looking at the underlying structural elements and you can some things maybe count for both and so on this large gray area there but i don't think we've had a lot of happenings all the happenings that are relevant are quite recent and most of them are in the past year. And I always make this point. I'm a little bit at risk. I, you know, I, I apologize uh, to any listeners because I tend to, of course, I've, I've been starting to repeat myself on on podcasts. And pretty soon people are gonna be like, "That Haywood guy, he's so one-dimensional. All he does is repeat the same crap. What a loser!" And then click. So sorry if I'm repeating myself. But the the, you know, the if you had looked at us in 18 months ago and described what's happened since then, you we would have described those things as happenings. And that wouldn't have been true if we took ourselves, say, eight years ago and looked forward four years or 18 months or whatever. What that tells about the future is, of course, hard to say. But in this kind of thing, past performance is, in fact, if not a guarantee of future results, at least a reasonable predictor of future results.
0: This is actually a subject that we've been discussing in the, uh, the Kingpill Discord. Uh, we do voice chats in there, and we just sit and just, just endlessly discuss these sorts of things. And one of the things we were talking about is, is you know, a lot of people want to go back to the 1950s, the 1990s, somewhere in between. And for those people, like if you took someone in the 50s and you described what the world would look like in the 90s, they would have found it surreal and maybe hard to believe. If you took someone in the 50s and you described it to some and you described the world as it is today to someone in the 50s, it would be incomprehensible to them. They they would find it absolutely preposterous. Yet at the same time, if you took the world of today and you described it to somebody even 10 years ago, you're still going to get the same type of effect. Like you're saying, you can even go to 18 months. And so this this there's something that is happening. There's this there's a phenomenon here that if you took someone from the the 1510s and and then described the world to them in the 1530s, it's going to be much closer in 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 terms of resemblance than 2000 is to 2024. So what like what do you think is the thing that's happening? What's this What's this thing that's changing?
1: Uh, the West is reaching the inevitable end of the Enlightenment project. Uh, it, you
0: can look at this from different angles.
1: There's I, I for example fall into the camp of people who are not opposed to progress, particularly technological progress is an ongoing, permanent thing. But that has nothing whatsoever to do with the Enlightenment. So the age of the West as mutated by the Enlightenment is coming to its inevitable end because it was poisoned from the beginning. And so you can look at that or phrase that in different ways. The simplest way to phrase it is that the era of, I would call it, the Enlightenment left, you might call it just plain liberalism. These things are all the same thing. The the, the era of liberalism, that is the worship of individual autonomy and egalitarianism, is coming to a crashing end because it was always doomed. And what will come out the other end is something that is based on reality as opposed to the enlightenment. And we will all forget, except for the history books, that the so-called enlightenment ever happened and we'll all live happily ever after or as happily as human beings can when they're not distorted by BS ideologies like the enlightenment.
0: So how would you differentiate then between um, the enlightenment and say the Whig view of history? How would you differentiate that from a, a positive view of technological progress, as you meant, as you suggested?
1: The, the Whig view of history uh, it kind of fits within the Enlightenment certainly. Uh, you can you could imagine taking a Whig view of history out of the Enlightenment, however, as as well. But you could, you know, for example, stick it pre Enlightenment and say, look, things are things are improving on the following metrics, and therefore they're they're going to going to keep improving. So I, I think that in particular on things like scientific achievement. the uh, Those things are, of course, completely unrelated on a simply historical level uh, to the so-called Enlightenment, which is a political system mostly fleshed out in the mid 1700s. This uh, scientific revolution began long before that. In fact, there's a very strong argument we'd have much greater scientific advancement if the Enlightenment had never happened and if the West had not gone completely off track in the 20th century. I mean, you can imagine a, a, that scenario. That's not necessarily the case. There is a counterargument, which I, I also find fairly powerful, which is that y- you were asymptotically approaching the uh, limitations on return from scientific because we you, you don't want to have the first step fallacy. Just because step towards all sorts of new things like fusion or anti gravity or something, just because you can imagine the first step, that means the final step is achievable. It may be the case that mankind is tapped out. Yeah, we're not going to have a lot more scientific advancement. We're going to run out of fossil fuels, like John Michael Greer says, and then we're going to have to lump it. Well, maybe, but what we're not going to have to lump is the, the horrible burden of having Enlightenment-based political systems, leftist-based political systems, placed on us. So even if we have to go back to the world where <laughs> steam power is more common than 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 uh, than it is now, uh, that's going to be a huge improvement over uh, over what we have now. I'm- basing my prognosis for the future being more positive on technological improvement. I just think technological improvement is also possible.
0: Mm, okay. I like that differentiation there. Our good friend, uh, mutual friend, Jason from the 2Bit podcast, has, uh, I think he said something like liberalism is a is a civilization dissolver. It's basically like Ah, uh, when you introduce liberalism into a situation, it it just goes to work like an acid, dissolving all of the bonds that bind people together, and what what actually, which is what actually creates a civilization in the first place. So he's been developing this this uh, a system of thought, sort of toward the idea that we we no longer have a civilization; we've actually descended into the equivalent of of primal tribes in a very sophisticated concrete jungle, who are are you know, we're hitting each other with rocks, and our rocks just happen to be a little more advanced than then past rocks. Um, how does your, your Orthodox faith plug into this? Mr. Patriarch in the chat says, when will Matt address the OQ? Why are the Orthodox overrepresented among rightist content creators? Name the O. How does your, your, your familiarity with Eastern thought through Orthodoxy and h- how is the taking on the Orthodox phronema, as they say, how has that changed your, or has it changed your eschatological perspective, especially vis-a-vis things like these cycles of history?
1: I'm a rel I mean, I'm a 2018, so seven years Orthodox convert. And if you're looking for expertise in orthodoxy, you should not come to me. But it's. I think the answer is somewhat, but not an enormous amount. That is the. I was raised very Roman Catholic, and and look, I was went to a Dutch Reformed elementary school. So I'm, I'm I'm fairly good on on theology. But I think that the from an a, a eschatological perspective, uh, certainly the, there's not a huge amount of, of if you're focusing narrow, narrowly on eschatology. but I think it, there's a little bit of it because for two reasons. Orthodoxy is kind of the, the most uh, reality based of the uh, of the major Christian denominations uh, in the sense that it it tends to interact most appropriately, with the rest of the world. Now, obviously, orthodoxy's point is not is to be a light unto the nations and be the Church of Christ. And it's it's very secondary gold how orthodoxy interacts with the rest of the world. But orthodoxy does historically do a better job interacting than, say, Roman Catholicism with, for example, the secular powers. It's still a very imperfect thing because that seems to be always historically the nature of any institutional church How it relates to the secular authorities tends to be, on balance, usually worse rather than better. Nonetheless, it it it, its approach is, I think, based in human nature and in history more so than any other other entity. So I think the or institutional church. So I, I I think there's an element probably I haven't really thought through this, but an element of orthodoxy fits well into my own kind of political thoughts simply because orthodoxy has fit historically well into. Uh, a variety of governmental systems, pre-liberal political systems. Obviously, Enlightenment-type leftism, liberalism, is hostile to orthodoxy because orthodoxy is reality-based, and those things are exactly the opposite of reality-based. And they, the things that leftism wants are inherently oppositional and increasing. and more ever- so in kind of a ratchet effect, to, uh, leftism, Enlightenment, liberalism is gone. You can easily... Orthodoxy adopting I've been saying for years that orthodoxy is the thing, but I think this is true and I think this is part of it. That that, that in a city that rejects enlightenment liberalism, orthodoxy is necessarily
0: more attractive. Mm. There's an interesting connection between the idea of apocalypse, meaning revealing, and then if you consider the church being the body of Christ and Christ being the logos and the logos being human, then as you get closer to reality, necessarily, you're going to get closer to Christ and you're going to get uh, and, it, and it's going to have an apocalyptic effect as, yes. um, as it's revealed.
1: Well, it's it, like, you know, people, I think, I agree, misuse the term apocalypse, which is mm-hmm. rather than what people colloquially use it as. Uh, uh, I believe he calls it uh, catastrophe, cataclysm, apocalypse. So we're in the catastrophe, catac- apocalypse is later. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, back there I have, uh, I have an, uh, you can't see it, it's blurry, but an, an icon of St.
0: Michael of the Apocalypse, but we're not quite there yet. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, I was raised Seventh-day Adventist, a uh, very devout Seventh-day Adventist for the first 20 years or so of my life. And, uh, obviously it's in the name at seventh day, Adventism is very apocalyptic, very obsessed with the apocalypse and being removed from it. Firstly, just kind of sort of generic unchurched, just kind of doing my own thing and then, and then, um, moving into orthodoxy it's given me, it, it's like, I've, I've had the the perspective of the the very doomer future outlook. Yeah, everything is going to get worse and worse and worse. Seventh Adventists, their their premise is there's going to be a national Sunday law, where it is it is in, it is mandated by all the governments of the world that you have to worship on Sunday, and anybody who does not is going to be hunted down, and and so their vision of the apocalypse is is the remnant hiding in little holes as they're coming coming after them, and then Jesus appears in the sky, and so I grew up with that yeah. in my head, huh. extracting that bit by bit, I've realized how much of it has been subconscious for me that I don't even, I have this, this, this constant sense of there's a, there's a thing coming. There's a, we're, we're at the end, we're coming near the end. But I started realizing that the effect that that was having on me psychologically was it was, um, it was like diminishing the importance of doing things in this life right here. And now with this world, it was impossible to reconcile that perspective with creation being fundamentally good it was created good mm-hmm. and it, it it so having the experience of occupying this one position and then moving to where i'm op- occupying almost the exact opposite position has been enlightening for me but now I st- i'm starting to recognize the effect of um having a doomer perspective the black pill perspective mm-hmm. becoming a self-reinforcing thing and i think in order for if if, if we're going to win if we are winning and and you seem very optimistic toward that end not not that winning means we're going to have a utopia but that th- good things are going to happen that we like it seems that it's necessary that we begin believing that be the case for that to ever actually be the case which makes me see the the doom black pill guys as actually working against their own ends what do you what do you think of that
1: i think that's true like i understand kind of the doomer impulse but it's fundamentally an immature impulse because it, it, it's also one that's very ill-informed from a historical perspective. That, that is the it, doomer kind of society. So, now, obviously, it doesn't seem imminent uh, that any group, the left, the regime, whoever, is going to start banning Saturday worship. You know, it doesn't seem like, a, seem like a prominent thing. But it does, there's plenty of other things that, that, that they want to do. And But the fact is that the history shows that doomer-type regimes... Or with the the type of regimes that Duma's fear uh, ha- have always had very short shelf lives. First of all, they're they're very modern kind of thing, ideological type uh, regimes of of that uh, type that are focused on oppressing the people. And so when you point this out to they typically will fall. But what if arguments these revolve around what I call the technological panopticon in the past, it's been true that they can't really keep us all down, but with technology, they can keep us all down. Well, you know, maybe, but that's that, that technology is a two-edged sword, and the fact is, the, the people aren't going to take it uh, past a certain point. And yeah, you can say, well, we're an aging society, we're a feminized society. Everyone's on, you know, watching porn and smoking weed and playing games, and where are the young, based young men who are who are doing what it takes? Well, you know, when it's time, <laughs> so. Because that's in their nature. And you see this in Star So being a doomer, and you, it's logical and conclusion of this is pacifism so you get a, a kind of quietist or quietist a quietist kind of thing or a gray man kind of thing the, the most sophisticated statement of this is Curtis Yarvin's kind of stuff we should uh, i think as Rufo, christopher Rufo once uh, summarized uh, summarized it something like uh, we should make sure we don't win now so we can not win later um, and so, you yeah, <laughs> it was slightly different that but that was it was it was, it was a really funny funny comment and and so i uh, you want the opposite. When want to not take the position that let's lose now so we can not win later. You want to take the position of let's work on winning now so we can win finally and put all these people out to pasture or, I like to say, picking sugar beets in Saskatchewan.
0: <laughs> Speaking of Yarvin, um, there is... So I, Yarvin was kind of the one that, that ultimately lured me away from, from being an ANCAP. He he uh, he got he got. That was actually what led me to, to orthodoxy. Honestly, was monarchy. Being persuaded of monarchy then made orthodoxy just just click right into place. Do you see a use like using the, the the Machiavellian Pareto scheme of the circulation of the elites? Do you? S- I mean, clearly there's going to be a circulation. Regimes don't last forever. There's a lot of signals that this regime is 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 on the downswing. People talk about the competency crisis a lot. I think the way the Texas border crisis was was handled indicated a severe amount of incompetence among the Biden administration and then the the video that came out recently with uh james o'keefe interviewing mm-hmm. this cyber policy analyst and and realizing like this is this is this these are our elites here this this guy who is just just one of the dumbest human beings you're ever going to encounter this is these these are our elites these are the people that we're afraid of Ultimately, an incompetent regime is going to be its own downfall, and the only question is how many people are going to get are going to get killed in the process of that downfall. Do you see any, as you look out, if we are anticipating some type of a circulation and, and the, potentially the rise of a counter elite? Do you see something like that happening now?
1: To a limited extent, it, these things are always only viewable in hindsight. So I, I, I take I object strongly to what I I might you might call the Strong version of the circulation of elites, which is that in order for there to be a circulation of elites, you must first have an existing counter elite. You know, and the reverse of that is true. That is, just because sometimes you do have an existing counter elite, does not mean that you must have a counter elite. There are societies where there are continuously competing elites, and every so often one knocks off the other. You know, Guelphs and Ghibellines kind of thing. Sure, I mean that that, that's a perfectly plausible way to set up a society, but it's less true in the modern era. Everything politicized and so is there a circulation of elites? Um, I think to a limit, or is there a, a boring group of elites? Well, of course, you and I are at the top of that. I mean, most of people course. are. I, yeah, anyway. So aside from you and me, I, I think there's there's a little bit of that, but I think there's, it's less visible than people would think. As as always, it, these things are in the modern ideologized, ideologized and politicized uh, venues the it's less visible. Uh, Ex ante, that is beforehand. Um, so you can argue like person ABC is part of an aboining elite. Is Elon Musk is part of the aboining elite? So I think I, I actually think that Elon Musk has an extremely high or very high chance of being an, a crucial element in breaking the regime, simply because he has to. So that's a fairly safe bet. But like you can look at lots of other people that are out there. And you can say, well, maybe those people who be part of a future elite. Maybe they do not be. Most of the members of future elite are unknown to us at this point. What's
0: up, Cooper? Welcome.
2: Hello, everybody. Hello, Mr. Haymaker. I apologize for being late. My uh, superiors at work are spiritually homosexual. And today I needed to be out at a relatively decent time. Of course, they had bullshit for me to do. So well, being a, here I am now.
1: Being spiritually homosexual is even worse than being a spiritual boomer. So hopefully they're not both.
2: Well, some of them are both.
1: No, not terrible. <laughs> you, need, you need a new job.
2: Yes, I'm working on that. Are you hiring anybody? Uh,
1: I am not because I am theoretically retired, though I have been casting about maybe starting a uh, a
2: new business. So. Uh, well, I'd like to become one of these new elites that you're talking about. So if you... Uh, Maybe you can like put me in touch with some people. I am kind of smart. I have autism. Well, one of the, it's very useful.
1: One of the uh, sad facts is that intelligence does not correlate to elite status, despite what uh, what again, particularly ideologized people like to think. Like I'm smart, so therefore I should be in charge. This has historically not worked
2: well. I don't want to be in charge. I just want a lot of money. Okay. Well, in order to be
1: to get the money, you, you probably have to provide. Elite-type services, or engage in some kind of corruption, which frequently leads to your head getting cut off. So maybe the former route is a better one.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the advice. We've been doing some some digging around here lately. Um, see if I can get this out in a, in a concise enough manner. We we had this 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 conversation for a while about the generations and the way that the each generation um, seemed to be relating to the last ones and then recognizing the particular personalities of the boomers versus gen x versus millennials versus zoomers there's kind of a a a parallel between the boomers and the millennials like the Boomers the millennials are almost like an echo of the boomers Mm -hmm. and then there's a similar dynamic with gen x and the uh and and the zoomers Uh, and i got this a lot from talking to cooper who is himself a zoomer because i'm more of a early millennial and i realized as i was looking at this well okay the boomer ideology that has really ruled us a lot for for i mean i don't know 40 or 50 years at least maybe more this uh, naive boomer idealism as i've as i've termed it it in a, it, there's a, there's a significant amount of that ideology that's going to die with the boomers and the boomers have 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 outstayed their um position at the top relative to previous generations they've been um, just as a kind of a happenstance of history, they've been up there for a long time with a lot of people um, uh, backing up behind them. What do you think is going to be the influence or, or the, the consequence of th- over the next 10 to 20 years, all of the boomers, all of their wealth, all of the, the institutions that they've been the head of um, being redistributed to people who may see the world, not they don't, they don't necessarily subscribe to the same naive boomer idealist worldview?
1: I think the frame, while the question is coherent and sensible, I think the frame is actually wrong because the wealth of the boomers is not going to be distributed through traditional or normal channels. First of all, much of it isn't wealth at all. So, for example, much of the stock market is just fake. The that is in Facebook stock is not real wealth. So at some point, there's a reckoning. So the, the amount of so-called wealth disappears, and then you're left with some amount of actual value. And in the nature of things, it, it, because if you're a happening bro, you think this is going to be happenings, one of those happenings is going to be redistribution of wealth uh, let's say on um, uh, state of exception basis. And so I don't think that the what's going to happen is the boomers are going to give their money to their Gen X kids to the millennial kids and uh, and then those kids will will take over and do whatever they're going to do. I mean it, it, in practice, This relates to the circulation of elites. The value will be right-sized, distributed, and in practice, what that means is value will flow to the new elites and to the people who are part of the new elite structure and stripped from people who uh, are not part of that structure or people who are directly targeted for punishment due to their behavior in the previous regime, something I think is uh, an absolute must. When I say things like truth and reconciliation, commissions, which we, we certainly need. By reconciliation, I mean punishment, not where they, not where people are, you know, get, get off when they testify. Instead, they testify and then they're punched. So, and one of the most significant punishments is stripping people of their ill-gotten gains, which is a huge percentage of the people who have money nowadays. So that's a kind of slightly off kilter response, but I don't think the transfer of wealth from the boomers is going to follow historical precedents
0: what i was driving at more was that um, as a matter of of simple uh linear temporal fact uh wealth money influence power that is currently held by people who are are of the of the boomer mindset um as a consequence of them all dying off that wealth is going to be is is going to be i don't want to say redistributed but it's going to be it's going to move into the hands of other people um over the course of the next 10 to 20 years and those new people who are coming up this new elite they're largely coming either from gen x or millennial and they they don't see the world in the same way as the boomers so they're going to want to do different things with that money than the boomers necessarily did and is It it seems to me that this is going to cause a larger shift generation to generation than we typically see, given the way the boomers have lived on as long as they have. Um, I mean, the last four presidents have all been boomers. Go ahead.
1: Sure. No, I I, I think it is going to be different. I just think it's very hard to predict how it's it's going to be. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. (laughs) Certainly, Gen X is the greatest generation in human history and is full of wonderful and talented people who who are more than fit to lead the new elites. But whether that will, in fact, come to pass, it's impossible to say. Who should definitely not be the new elites are the the young, I don't know exactly how you define as Zoomer. I saw some heinous statistic that among 18 to 29 year olds, Biden has 71% approval rating so I mean this is not so, oh, Geez, this is not so much a, a point about that generation it, it is it shows they're all morons but uh, but <laughs> it, it, it's actually there's a deeper point there which is historically speaking that age group is the most fickle and so it's it's meaningless in this context in the context of this question that that 71% of the boomers like Biden you know if uh Bukele showed up and and started kicking ass 90% of that age group was suddenly like Bukele and they would see no contradiction between formerly liking Biden and now liking Bukele that, that 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 age group flips like a switch all the time uh, nonetheless it, it is going to be different um, it's going to be different it will be determined by circumstances at that time, which, as I say, favor significant change in the direction of right-thinking people, namely
0: us. Right, right. Recently, Jamie Dimon went to Davos. I don't know if you saw this. Jamie Dimon went to Davos, and he said that uh, uh, we need to start considering the fact that Trump, maybe Trump was right. And the three things he's... First of all, having Jamie Dimon say Trump was right, just those three words (laughs) together was like... But then the three things he named off had me even more like... He said, he said uh, uh, NATO, immigration, and the economy. Uh-huh. And he went on on the, the immigration issue. He said even all of his, his uh, very liberal friends in the Northeast are all very unhappy with this immigration situation. Pair that with the fact that Bukele is what Bukele is and continues to be what Bukele is. And somehow his elections haven't been fortified. He hasn't been knocked off, knock on wood. And I don't know 10 years ago, this would have seemed like a foregone conclusion that a guy like Bukele would never get to where he's where he's gotten because now he serves as a model that this sort of thing works, you can do this, this is something that's now been tangibly proved in, in, in the world now so. Are we seeing is, it, are these things connected the fact that you have diamond saying maybe trump was right, maybe there's some some old money that's starting to reallocate itself is that connected to the fact that we don't see the the typical happenings in Central America with the American intelligence communities?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, so uh, El Salvador, I don't know, for example, what the opposition government structure is in El Salvador. My understanding is, for example, that a very large percentage of uh, El Salvadorans are Pentecostal, and increasingly number who are very vigorous in their political approach and their kind of apocalyptic approach. And that leads to a lot of uh, support for Bukele. So I don't know, for example, what the regime requires in other countries is some kind of set of people who can be suborned using money and NGOs and so on. And maybe that exists in El Salvador, maybe it doesn't. I just don't know. My my knowledge of from El Salvador is mostly confined, frankly, to like the 80s and 90s when they had a civil war against Communist guerrillas now. I mean, for example, what happened to those communist guerrillas? I don't know I mean, hopefully he tracked them all down and executed them But you know, I doubt it. They're probably floating around somewhere. Or maybe they're in you know, I don't know Maybe they're in the US. So is there an opposition that can be used to suborn the political system in El Salvador? Or is there just no- nothing they, they can they can work with? Um, but I think that it, more broadly speaking This just shows the incompetence of, and fragility of the regime The 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 regime used to be full of people who read Henry Kissinger's books and knew what history was before 1960. Now it's full of people who think that uplifting marginalized voices is the number one thing to do, and that self executes uh, any political outcome they want if they just throw a couple money, a couple million dollars at some local NGOs who uplift marginalized. You know, Gypsy voices in El Salvador, some some like irrelevant minority, and uh, and so uh, they're just incompetent. I mean, they cannot. I mean, you see this in the Ukraine war too. I mean, you give like hundreds of billions of dollars, and you still can't get the result you want. I mean, of course, the Russians get a vote in that too. But and yes, they did manage to overthrow the government of Ukraine in 2014. But just the incompetence level is just shockingly high. It just is. I mean, even on the the elements of the regime that are punitively you know, not left like the Republicans. You, know, you see this. You know, the, the regime tools like McConnell tried to pull off this this immigration bill, so-called immigration bill, and and, and ended up with like with this total pie in their face, just like a bunch of morons. I mean, like, do you think that like competent politicians, like I don't know, Huey Long or I don't know anybody, anybody from like the past years, no matter what you think of his politics, just wouldn't have let that happen to him. I mean it just wouldn't. I mean, I mean admittedly they used to a certain kind of control over the media and so on that, that is eroded with the internet and with X incompetent. They're all just incompetent and they're just getting more incompetent and that's good and that's why I think that I mean that's part of the reason why I'm optimist. but oh, if I'm Bukele I'm like well, whatever i I've been elected for five more years and too bad. I mean there there are exceptions to this like Viktor Orbán had to in Hungary, uh, and I'm, I'm half Hungarian, so I follow that in particular. He had to back down and uh, agree to give money to Ukraine because they were were threatening him to basically try to destroy the Hungarian economy, which is very reliant on other aspects of the EU, both handouts and German automakers in particular. Nonetheless, so the regime is not you know, utterly incompetent or utterly incapable, but I, I think largely incapable and largely incompetent, and you, and you see evidence of that everywhere.
0: I know one thing that Bukele did, uh, uh, I want to say it was 2019, somewhere in 2020, somewhere in there, he, uh, there was a, a bill going through their, their, their parliament or congress or whatever their, their, their body is, and uh, part of it was they were, they were stonewalling him on providing funding to the military associated with his operations against drug dealers, and he marched the military into the halls of parliament and, and said, you're going to pass this bill. Mm-hmm. And
1: yeah, Bukele, I mean, so that's the guy you need. I'm always quoting what Cicero said of Caesar, that Caesar is a man of supreme daring, hardened to every danger. And you know, there's just nobody like that in America. Uh, you can imagine some people becoming that again, back to Musk. I mean, Musk has many kind of debilities and weird psychological things and so on. But at the end of the day, all it requires is one guy who fits that description. Because a guy like that is fundamentally unstoppable by normal means. Because especially in a situation like this, where everybody sees benefit from attaching himself to a guy like that, and some risk, obviously, to attaching yourself to a guy like that, but a lot, a lot of potential benefit.
0: There's a a term that I encountered recently um, as we were thinking about this this generational thing, and uh, uh, there's this Vivek Ramaswamy guy shows up and. Uh, I didn't I didn't pay him any attention for the first little while, just kind of like I called him uh, Republican Andrew Yang. It just didn't he didn't seem to interest me. And uh, then I learned the term PayPal Mafia. And I was obviously familiar with PayPal I Was familiar with Teal and Musk and their connection. And I found them very interesting, especially Teal's association with Yarvin and his uh, association with Renee Girard. And so they've always been kind of in the back of my mind is like if something was to was to start happening, I would expect them to be intimately involved with it. And someone introduced me to the term PayPal Mafia, and I was like, "Huh, I didn't even know that was a thing." It actually has its own Wikipedia page. So I went down and started studying all of the guys associated with it. Some of them are are just insufferable shit libs. They're they're <laughs> they are just like creatures of the regime. Reed Hoffman would be an example. Um, Max Levchin. These of guys, yeah. guys, right?
1: Remember what I said earlier about punishment? Like in uh-huh. my big spreadsheet of punishment, Reed Hoffman is like in the top ten cells.
0: <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. So some. So it's the PayPal mafia is not a thing. It's not a a single moving body. However, as I started digging through all the different companies they're associated with projects they're working on uh, and then looking at the political connections between them, recognizing what Peter Thiel has been doing and how much of a, a long-term thinker that Peter Thiel is, I started realizing I'm sitting here playing like two to three degrees of Peter Thiel with all of these different projects and several of these, these, these characters, have public internet profiles. They're on Twitter. They're you know they, they you can go listen to their interviews. There's the All In podcast with uh, David David Sachs and uh, uh, Chamath Palpatia, and I think there's one other. And then there's but then they they also have Jason Calacanis who is you know he seems like a nice guy but he's also a shitlib. Um, I'm looking at these guys and starting to read through their even just looking through all their Twitter likes and looking at the things that they're paying attention to they're all very big china hawks they're all very anti-illegal immigration and they're very anti-dei and esg these are all you know core silicon valley insiders and silicon valley typically has this the the veneer of being extremely a you know progressive shithole essentially and yet all of these guys are beginning to even more loudly counter signal the existing regime and then there's, you make connections with Vivek and I realized, okay, this guy's the tip of a spear of something that's happening. And a lot of the things he's talking about directly parallel this thing, project 2025, which is run by the, the heritage foundation in TPUSA, USA um, and, and like 80 other conservative NGOs. Now, typically that project 2025 thing when conservative NGOs get together and start coming up with some grand policy initiative, or whatever, I don't, it's whatever, you know, right. Exactly. But I'm looking through what they're talking about, and they're talking about like abolishing federal bureaucracies, cutting down the workforce dramatically. And they're saying what happened with Trump was he got surrounded by people who worked against him at all fronts. So we're going to make sure that doesn't happen now. We're going to blitzkrieg. And so-
1: apparently he picked those people, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, it is. Right. I mean, that, you know. Anyway. Right.
0: Yes. Um, what that does indicate, though, is that he is- he is easily controlled if you have the right kind of leverage on him. That's correct. Cool. And if you listen to, I, I, I kind of have, I, I was very much a Curtis Yarvin guy, and then I kind of, eh, I liked Moldbug better than I liked Yarvin. And but then as soon as I started seeing these kind of these kind of moves that were happening, I said, this, this seems, this has the fingerprints of Curtis Yarvin. Whether or not people are like directly working with him or just even know who he is, but just they seem to. Have this sense that we we're, we have a crisis of executive power, and venture capitalists, startup guys. If there's one thing they understand, it's executive power. Make taking a an, a, an inefficient system and making it stripped down and lean and efficient.
1: Well, as to Yarvin, you know, I I mean, I, I know Yarvin maintains contacts with some of these kinds of people, tenuous, and as do I, and so on. But uh, whether or not he's influencing people, I don't know. I, I'm of mixed mind about Yarvin. I think Yarvin has done a lot of very valuable things. I'm also the author of the most notorious hit piece on Yavin on the internet, a very a long screed, which basically points out that he doesn't know any history. Uh, <laughs> and that he doesn't know any law or corporate structure or bankruptcy. Or, uh, uh, but nonetheless, he's an original thinker. Some of his more recent stuff is not so great. He uses too many italics. But I'm not I'm not down on Curtis Yarvin. He's a valuable guy. And I think that if you were a philosopher king, you'd do well to have Curtis Yarvin, and, and you're a stable of philosophers. You would do poorly to have him as your only court philosopher, but he certainly could add value to your to your philosophy, philosopher king court. I think that that this goes back kind of to what you said earlier about the rise of a new set of elites. People involved in this too. I mean, obviously one person is not a Play lately. who I Suspect is you know, in the right scenario, is comes very quickly to the fore. Is Eric Prince, who no doubt maintains contacts with all these people. I mean, I I, I don't know that, but you know, I, not being in this world. I mean, I've met most of these people, another, but I maintain no real contacts with these people, uh, so I can't tell you whether what's really happening beneath the surface. Uh, I do think, though, from what I do know. personal knowledge that that there is a lot happening beneath the surface and that there is a much more significant um based silicon valley mogul uh setup than one might think that doesn't mean that those people think like haywood or think like matt i think that the what it means is that they're on the journey to thinking 60 70 80 percent of what we think uh because every people who who think honestly converge on reality and they don't converge 100 percent obviously they're not going to they're going to see certain things differently but they're going to reject outright all forms of leftism root and branch so for example let me just take a predictive example predictive example right now musk is he's really down on illegal immigration and he keeps saying well i want i want to increase legal immigration it's inevitable that he'll come to the conclusion that if the other goals that he wants are to happen that that can't happen. That is, in order to have a civilizational renaissance with the kind of stuff that to achieve his goals, bringing in a bunch of other people, uh, it isn't going to cut it. Now, maybe you can bring in a few very select people for select uses that he can't find locally, but he'll come to the conclusion that even that is stupid because it's a stopgap that doesn't build value for the future. You need to, you need to, for example, you need to. This is a probably a longer-term project, but you're Musk. You're like. I can't find any high-end STEM people uh, in engineering. I can't find enough of them, and the reason is that white men who are the dominate in that and for good reason have been forced out of all of those at the educa- at the starting at the elementary school level have been forced out of engineering. And technological achievement. They're not 100% forced out, but they're elevated. So women in particular are hugely forced into those positions and men end up basically not taking a career path that would lead them to be the kind of people that are essential for Musk to reach Mars. So he's going to realize that at some point that he has to has to rework that entire system in order to have the personnel in order to be, be able to achieve his goals. And that does not include bringing in immigrants because that is a stopgap that simply won't fit, fit the need. I mean, that's a 20 or 30 year thing so you know we'll see but all these people will converge more or less and the people who are execrations like Reed hoffman you know, they'll be thrown overboard or you know out of a helicopter
0: <laughs> did but, you see uh,
1: that there,
0: yeah go ahead did you see there's a, a u.s congressman who just made a pinochet joke on twitter recently <laughs> i was
1: going to say i mean that goes back to our early conversation that i mean that would have been even six months ago literally inconceivable and it would have been national news and the new york times would have run big headlines you know now now it's just it's it's like dense pack you probably don't remember this but in the 1980s there was a theory about nuclear warfare that the united states i think the russians too would place their silos very close together for land based nuclear warheads and the theory was that if uh a it would make it harder to kill all the nuclear warheads because the first warhead coming in would make the later warheads basically go off course. And so you'd be able to launch more warheads rather than having them all destroyed. Whether or not this is true, I have no, I mean, it was definitely a strategy. Whether or not it works, we don't know. But you get a dense pack kind of feeling here where there's so much that's so bad for the regime that they can't afford to even spend any headspace on talking about this congressman where in the past they could whip up a huge mob make a weeks-long thing you, you know how dare the right wing uh, d- uh, threaten to to throw people out of helicopters we must pass a bill in congress you know, whatever you know they could make endless hay out of this but instead they could make nothing out of it and the congressman gave everyone the finger and twitter even left the, twitter even left the tweet up i mean and so uh, or the x up whatever it is and, and so again yeah, we are in you know as they say we are not in kansas anymore
0: that what you were saying about Musk and him eventually coming along with some of these, because these are reality-based things, and you have someone who indicates that that he only, the only way he could accomplish many of the things that he's accomplished and put himself in a position where he is, he, he was, he was the first person really counter to the regime who began making the types of moves he did. You could say maybe Trump before him, but he really is is very unique in that sense. Yes. The only way you can do that is if you're very tightly connected with reality. You really understand reality. So if there's if he has if he has foibles, if he has departures from reality, if he wants to put chips in people's heads and I don't like that idea, like that, that's fine. We can be fellow travelers. I, I get a very distinct a lot of the, the 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 doomers, the the nothing's gonna happen, bros, I get a real distinctive like uh the the libertarians who say, Oh, well, that guy's not a real libertarian. He doesn't have he doesn't uh you know, he 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 believes we should have driver's licenses, so he can't be a real libertarian. <laughs> you get kind of the same same phenomenon here where it's like well if this guy doesn't literally share my brain then he can't be my ally which i it's one thing to to say that if you're you know an, an uber billionaire yourself it's another thing to say that if you're joe schmo just firing off tweets on twitter like you got to have a little bit of a situational awareness here
1: oh yeah and i mean the, uh, the chips don't really bother me because that's never going to happen
0: i mean that's that, it, it,
1: uh, those things are, it's like. Strong AI, just a silly fancy for people to sit around and talk about. Never going to happen. Wasted time. Mm-hmm. But you know, on a more concrete matter, you know, you're Elon Musk, and last week they literally stole fifty-five billion dollars from you. Yeah, you know, and it, uh, what he talked about in public was reincorporating. I'm pretty sure what's going through Musk's head is not how I can get my money back by reincorporating. It's <laughs> some more, you know kinetic solutions to this problem because uh-huh. that's just the way it goes see this is just a, a guy like that it goes back to the definition of caesar at some point you're like basically you've had enough you have to pick your moment correctly i mean this is why why famously you know caesar crossing the rubicon and so on you don't just smart people don't spend a bunch of time telegraphing their moves nor do they take action at a time that is inappropriate. And of course, history is full of people who, who took action of whatever type at the wrong moment and it bit them in the ass and you never heard of them again. Or if you heard, it was like on their way to the gallows, but you, you pick a guy like Musk. Isn't going to start doing stuff that he's really, saying the stuff he's really thinking about that judge with 55 billion until it's time to start taking action on that basis. But let's I mean, Fifty-five billion is a lot of money, and you know people have done have changed the world for a lot less than fifty-five
2: billion.
0: I think I saw that sixty-three percent of Fortune five hundred companies are incorporated in Delaware, so that's sixty-three you know, percent of I Fortune to- five hundred CEOs who are 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 seeing what might happen to them.
1: Right. I mean, I used to be a corporate lawyer and so mergers and acquisitions lawyer, so um, I used to be very familiar with, with Delaware corporate law and it's, it, but historically it was an it, it was beneficial because it was uh error free because of the competency very fast they had people available all the time to to make decisions in complex mergers and so on who actually knew something about complex mergers and completely free of any kind of bias and obviously this judge and the the i mean the the entire thing is a political setup it's a hack job by a political law firm with a political plaintiff funded by political people in order to steal from a regime enemy I mean it, 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 in Roman times these people you, you you'd be calling these people on their cell phones and they would never be answering again <laughs> it worked no, it, 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 it's what this is I mean this is just a a vicious political attack no different than you know things they're doing to Trump or whatever it's nothing whatsoever to do with Delaware corporate law. So and you you have to kind of divorce yourselves. And I think lawyers in particular, and I guess I'm the only lawyer here, but yeah, I have lawyer friends and they still live in this kind of, well, the law is, you know, this thing. And yeah, maybe occasionally it's not applied quite right. I mean, what, what, the law is irrelevant at every level of society at this point, whenever there's a political question, uh, you know, criminal law with respect to violence. So we saw that obviously with things like Rittenhouse and so on. And so pretending that the law is anything but a weapon, to crush our enemies with and to ignore and destroy whenever necessary to do that is just a waste of time because they are already doing that. And we need to do that by times a hundred. Not that I'm Hmm. getting
0: about it or anything. (laughs) (laughs) Of course not.
1: (laughs) Actually, I I, I, did about back times (laughs) a thousand.
0: All right, we got a super chat here. Okay ryan isaac five dollars he says what incompetent regime behavior do you expect in the next nine months i.e hard power use or do you expect going through standard political motions
1: um that is a good Hmm. question i can definitely say that once we get to the election if trump wins uh it'll be you know all hands on deck uh left attempt to use violence to overturn the election in the run-up that's actually a good question I think that the um, I think that they're going to want to uh, not use incompetent hard power, for example, say the Texas war situation, but they will be unable to help themselves because there's always some set of people that, historically speaking, left activity is typically dictated by the crazies and you see this over and over and over again, that you have a spectrum of people who have, in the left, some of them are sensible, some of them are unsensible, but the most ideological, the most politicized, the most radical usually get what they want because the other people have no limiting, in in internal discussions have no limiting uh, rationale by which they can say, let's not do that. The only thing they can rely on are, are practical arguments. Like this is an impractical thing to do right now to engage in this kind of violence. And then the response is, uh, you, you're not committed enough. You're not really a member of, of our group. You, know, they, 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 you have this purity spiral very badly, typically in idealized, ideologized left movements, which tend to, tends to lead to irrational and um, unnecessarily aggressive behavior. So I, I would expect regime violence prior to the election, that is u- use of hard power, uh, the exact context can't be predicted but there's any number of, of possibilities and it's not just the stupidity of it, the desire to show we're in charge. It's the, there's, there's going to be some set of people who are, um, who are just on the left, who are so, they're just so tired of taking that they're going to, they won't be able to help themselves.
0: Mm. I've been, I was kind of gaming some of this out the other day, trying to think, think about, you know, people like false flags or, um, you know, some kind of. Uh, I guess there's a rumor that something's going to happen at the Super Bowl, uh, and one of the things that that seemed really present in my mind here is that the the existing regime, the, like the way they handled the Texas situation, just was. It, it seemed like reactionary incompetence. The way they went about it, it just it didn't do anything except make matters much worse for them. They didn't. They didn't like gain anything from that whole prospect. Yes. And the regime is—it's a fox regime, um, using Pareto's de- designations. They, so they—they—they—they they, they, they want to avoid use of hard power at all costs. They're trying to build up layers between them and the use of hard power. And part of the problem with that is that the more layers you build up, the more detached from actual reality you get, and and there becomes a lag, and a, and a, and a, you, your your behavior becomes more and more inefficient. And do you think that there's—is this—is this too white pilled? Is there—is there any possibility that? Um, as we're seeing the the like the jamie diamonds and and coming out and saying pretty significant things, is there any possibility that this White House just becomes uh, a lame duck White House that basically loses sufficient uh, financial and and corporate backing? People who just decide, all right, it's time to just make a deal with the devil and 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 kind of pivot? And we just sort of, just move into the election and Trump is elected and, and and everything just sort of, you know, the foxes kind of retreat back and decide to fight another day. Do you think there's any any possibility of that?
1: It, well, there's
0: always a possibility. Oh, right, yeah, it's
1: a possibility. Yeah, yeah. It would be unbelievably anomalous by historical standards. It, 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 because it, it also presumes a more centralized decision-making authority than actually exists. The behavior of the regime is a set of emergent properties of stupid people. And, it, 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 and so, if this, for example, people have been saying for a year, and I've been saying this is stupid for a year. Maybe they've been saying it for more than a year. Well, they're going to take out Joe Biden and maybe Kamala Harris and put in people who are more, better able to win uh, against Trump. And you know, this is going to happen at X point or whatever. You know That implies that both that there's some set of centralized decision makers, which there isn't, and that there's no group of people who are reliant upon Biden and Harris being in the White House to line their pockets, be elites, be socially prestigious, whatever, that there's no constituency for keeping the status quo in place. And in a situation like this, keeping the status quo in place is by far the easiest position to maintain. You require an infinite amount of force, practically, to force a change something like that so you have no force and no centralized decision making so of course biden's going to be the nominee unless he like literally you know drops dead of something or he, he you it know, becomes a vegetable on live tv or something i mean even more of a vegetable uh, so so it, there's no mechanism for this to be dialed back the people who are running the they just can't help themselves and you see this particularly in areas that that are less kind of they're, they're visible but you see this in the corruption of the Department of Justice, which is now run by hardcore left wingers whose entire raison d'etre is to use the law in order to punish their political opponents. There's no, no way they're ever going to die. They're forced to do so by removing them from the Department of Justice any power, because that's just what they're there for. They, 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 you. you there's no possibility these people are going to take the tack and say, well, today I'm really going to spend my time on focusing on 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 crimes uh, committed by black people against white people. Or I'm going to spend my focus on you know, actual crime because that, that doesn't fit their ideological worldview or the reason that they're in the Department of Justice. And so it, justice. So it, 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 it's just never going to happen. I mean, the only way something like that could happen is if something superseded Again, the aliens. And just for the record, there are no aliens. There's probably no aliens in the in, in the entire universe, period. That's, if I was a betting man, I would say that, though. Obviously, I can't prove it. But there, the aliens are not going to land, have not landed. There is no aliens. There are no aliens. Uh, and so something else might proceed. I don't know. It, and that might change the calculus. But assuming there's no seeding event, uh, moon splits apart an egg for a reptilian creature. That'd be kind of cool. Uh, but you know, short of that, it, 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 it's it's it, we'll get what we're gonna get.
0: This has been absolutely fantastic. We have got some uh, some questions that were were posted in our, our Discord for the, the King Pilt Supporting Listeners Group. They would some people wanted to ask you some questions. I don't have it pulled up. I closed Discord to make sure we didn't have any streaming problems. So, Cooper, uh, give us these questions.
2: Question number one. <clears throat> Mr. Haywood has in the past mentioned that orthodoxy is, quote, the coming thing. Does he foresee orthodoxy playing a significant role in the coming post-liberal West? What are his thoughts on the challenges related to or- the orthodox enculturation of the West? How do we get from here to there?
1: Uh, well, we get from here to there just kind of naturally. The and answer, the answer to answer the question, yes, I see it playing a significant part. How significant a part? Uh, remains to be seen. But uh, we touched on this earlier, that in a a post-liberal political system, orthodoxy is necessarily more attractive. Orthodoxy has historically had, not necessarily, it's been rare that it's had a, 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 is an excellent relationship with with secular powers. Obviously in America in particular, we have the organizational debilities of the Orthodox Church in terms of we don't have an American Orthodox Church. So that might well, limit its, its ability to do so in America. I mean, I'm not an expert in this, but you, it's definitely true that in Russia, the Russian Orthodox Church has had a and you know, that has all the usual problems, but it also has the usual benefits. Uh, you know, it, It's like that that meme where you sit with Jimmy Swaggart where it says like, uh, Jesus, I see what you've done for these other people and I would like mm-hmm. that too. So, you know, yeah, yeah, that's the kind of thing you're thinking of. i thinking of.
2: Okay. Question number two. I'd be interested to know what he thinks of Project 2025.
1: Well, we touched on that earlier. I, I had not heard of that. Um, but normally, I guess we kind of said this already, but oh, okay. you know, I hear about stuff like that. I want to vomit. But, you know, uh, Matt's kind of convinced me that, that, uh, that maybe
0: I should uh, hold the barf bag and, and take a closer look. One, one interesting, I guess, kind of framing for it would be that uh, Charlie Kirk, the, uh, the, the goofball conservative cartoon character himself, had Curtis Yarvin on to talk about the idea of basically using your democratic vote to elect a dictator to uh, do away with the people who are trying to destroy the country and restore constitutional government. it made, made the case very interestingly to the boomer mind. But one of the things that Charlie Kirk dropped in that is that he spent last summer studying Machiavelli with Michael Anton. And when I heard that, I thought, okay, well, this is something. Because I never would have thought I would have, would have encountered Charlie Kirk talking about Machiavelli.
1: Anton is a prophet. And everybody should read uh, all of Anton's stuff. But also, in particular, is uh, his uh, essay in New Criterion a couple of years back called Unprecedented, which is about uh, the unprecedented nature of, of where we find ourselves in terms primarily of the rottenness and and malice of the ruling classes i will say though with charlie kirk and some of these other kind of normie con people again back to our earlier point they're saying things openly that in the past they would never have considered saying and you know i see people some people on twitter complaining about this this is somehow bad and I, I don't understand that that argument that argument is you know obviously laughable so you, 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 we're just going to keep on keeping on because we're we're heading in the right direction. I feel good today. I felt good yesterday, and I feel better tomorrow.
0: <laughs> I love it.
2: Next question. When are you releasing an official foundationalism manifesto?
1: Oh, I already have a foundationalism manifesto. Come on, man. it's on the website.
2: Okay, but that's what I thought, but he was like, "Well, I thought he was going to receive uh, he promised a full book eventually." That's at least what this guy said, but you know, they're not the brightest. This.
1: I, no, no, that's that, that's that's on me. I have talked about having a book, but I have not written the book yet. Um, in part because things keep changing on me. Um, in part because I'm not sure it really has has a ton of ton of value. I mean, I spend most of my time when I'm not, you know, oiling up my guns, doing hobby farming. I spend the day, you know, tilling the soil for the uh, for the spring because we had a really really warm day here in Indiana. And sometimes I wonder whether writing a foundationalism book is more valuable than uh, than doing that.
2: Well, last question from our friend Mr. Buck Johnson. Mr. Haywood, which interview is more fun, Counterflow or Kingpilled? Ooh, um, they are (laughs) choose wisely.
1: They are, they are both very fun. They, uh, that's a good question. We covered some of the same ground. Um, I was sober doing both of them. Um, so, uh, is that uncommon? <laughs> you no, know, no, I, I can't think when I drink. Like, I'm normally very good at things like trivia, but if I have like even one beer, I, I can't recall like trivia. I mean, my, I, the speed of my mind decreases to to a, a startling degree. In fairness, there is one podcast that of me, uh, when I did the one with uh, Anton Reboy and Matt Peterson a couple of years ago uh we did it uh after i had a couple of drinks i wasn't that bad i don't think uh they are both excellent uh and and wonderful and the host that's my answer
2: <laughs> good answer all right that, non-committal but that's a, that's a good answer
0: <laughs> I just not,
1: not have to uh, commit to uh, a position every single item of other people <laughs> mm.
0: Well, do you have anything uh, you want to direct people toward? Do you have anything else going on apart from the uh, the worthy house? Uh, I do not. Well, I mean, I have various things going on. I
1: have a bunch of kids and so on, but no one cares about that. Politically, no. my, my political stance is actually, you know, wait and see kind of thing because the the happenings are happening and there you go. I mean, to, to bring it back to, to where we started. I, uh, I, I, I don't like, unlike Curtis Yarvin, like I won't travel to go to other places to like appear on podcasts, for example, like people call me up and they're like, do you want to travel to this place? I'm like, no, you know, I mean, I, I just don't. I mean, like, I, uh, and so uh, uh, maybe that, maybe that's bad, but I don't That means to have less going on than I suppose I could. Like I'm not building my brand adequately. If I had a brand manager, you know, he would probably have quit by this point because I'm, yeah, I just like, I just enjoy things like this. And, you know, if you want to check it out, go read The Worthy House or follow me on Twitter.
0: Well, I strongly recommend you go read The Worthy House. Uh, I he, Charles has a fantastic writing style. It's very terse, punchy, uh, witty. It's a, it's a, it's like writing is performance art. Um, he's also very insightful. Uh, he reads very interesting books. Very strongly recommend that. He has it available as a podcast as well, so you can you can listen to him him read it. Uh, appreciate you guys for showing up for the live show here. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at RealKingPilled. Cooper's at Cooper Uh, Please subscribe if this is your first time around here. Uh, we're going to be doing some more uh, some more interesting interviews and some more interesting conversations here going forward, and we've got some fun stuff that we're working on. So uh, we'd love to have you guys involved. You can join the KingPilled Discord at subscribestart.com slash KingPilled. Um, You can join in the voice chats that we have there where we discuss all these same types of things. So thank you, everybody. Thank you, Charles, for being here. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next time.
1: Thank you.